0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. the Festival of Tabernacles that we're all celebrating here today, Sukkot. We saw in our first passage, we went through Leviticus 22 and 23. One of the things you may have noted as we were going through that is about cycles. This was about something that would happen again and again and again, year after year, year after year, even with Shabbat, week after week. This is a cycle goes around and around and around and around. And these are hallmarks, way markers, for where you're going throughout the year. Shabbat to Shabbat to Shabbat to Shabbat. New moon to new moon to new moon to new moon. Then for the annual appointed times, you've got the Pesach and then the First Fruits and then Shavuot. And then you've got the Fall Festivals. You've got... Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. You've got Yom Kippur. And you've got Sukkot, and the festival of tabernacles. Round and round and around. Going through them on a regular recurring basis. And even you see in the day of the Lord, when you go and you look at Isaiah 66, you see that you know from one new moon to another and one from Shabbat to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. That's something we read on each Rosh Chodesh that comes around. It's a cycle. It repeats over and over again. But then you see, like on our next passage, we took a look at in in, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. What do you see in that? It's a very interesting clash that's going on in that that, yes, you see in the world, things are going around. You know, they even talk about the, what, what's con, come to be called the water cycle, where you have, you know, it evaporates from the ocean, goes up in the air, rains down on the land, flows down back into the ocean, and around and round and round it goes. Or if you're in California, it just all goes out to sea and then we're left thirsty. But, <laughs> just, but the, the point, though, is, is that even in, in in what the world that's, that God has created, there are cycles that go round and around and around. And you could say that, well, what you do as the Kohelet or the preacher is talking about in this particular passage, it may just seem completely pointless. Why am I doing this? Just week after week, month after month, year after year, what real difference does it make? And when we just finish up the, the Torah cycle, and one of the great things that you see in the Torah cycle, and you go through and you see Deuteronomy, and so this is a message to the second generation getting ready to go into the land. Yes, days may come, days may go. Weeks may come, weeks may go. Months may come, months may go. Years may come, years may go. Generations may come, generations may go. But what is one of the key things that is mentioned, especially when you see the presentation that Moshe is giving in those last few chapters that we read in Deuteronomy? It's important what you hand off from one generation to the next. Because when you see in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and it's customary to read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, during Sukkot, Um, One idea as to why that is comes down to a a thought that uh, in the midst of all your festivals and joyous exuberance, that you don't forget what, you don't just forget where the direction of the whole world is going. You get so wrapped up in joy, you forget what the joy is all about. And that just undirected un, uh, joy and obsessing over joy can be futile in itself. And that's the passage that you see in Ecclesiastes that talks about um, all is vanity, vanity, vanity. It's from that the Hebrew word of Havel or Habel, which is what Abel's name comes from. Abel, you're reading Genesis. That's son of Adam, son of Eve. His name is Abel, which is, you could, it's basically, it's a wind. So thus, you get all is wind, all is wind, just blowing in the wind. Yes, all, all we are is dust in the wind, as one, one songwriter put it. But that's an, indeed a good passage, because it, Companion, you could see to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, is also in Isaiah 40, which is where we say, you're just dust. You are dust. But, when you look at this, you say, well, then life is just meaningless. Now, that's the very interesting thing that you get about this, is that you look and you see that all of these things around us will come, they will go we will come we will go all of us but what then goes on to the next generation to the ones after us to those around us what goes on to them that's not meaningless so thus when you see when it talks about in the prophets that you know casts bright upon the waters and it will return after many days a, a picture of the word and as we saw in the passage there in Zechariah 14 about this coming of the king to Jerusalem and that living water is going to flow out from the mountain of the Lord this living water that flows out into all the world it is something that is actually going to slake your thirst because as we are reading there in John chapter 7 John chapter 7, it talks about that Yeshua went to Sukkot, went up to a celebration of Sukkot, and it talks about on the great day, as otherwise known as the Hoshana Rabbah, or the, the great Hosanna, the great exaltation. Um, commonly, it's the seventh day of the seven days of Sukkot. And there are were water-drawing ceremonies throughout it, but the seventh day was the most significant one. Where And we read about it in Leviticus and 22, the last, last part of that before we got into 23, is to, yeah, you're, you're bringing in these drink offerings. And even as you go into chapter 23 about the drink offerings that you bring. Now, the custom came in because of the passages we read in Zechariah 14, where it talks about living water flowing out, that living water would be added to the libation, poured out on the altar. So thus, you have Yeshua coming in with this practice and saying, Hey, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. True water that will actually be something where you're just not thirsty, thirsty, thirsty all the time. That will just leave you with nothing but thirst. Because... You see, as, as it goes on, like from John 7 to 10, then it goes into a discussion of bread in another chapter. So it's like, go for bread that doesn't leave you hungry. It's like your daily bread came to the people in the desert, to the early descendants of Israel. The daily bread, manah. What is that stuff? It's bread that came down from heaven. Well, Do you recognize what that bread is? You see the hints of it there in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Is that the Lord is preserving you through this time of wandering in the wilderness, going from the house of bondage to the land of rest, the land of freedom, from bondage to freedom, this bread that's showing up every day, seven days worth that comes over six days. So, do you know why that's coming out of the sky? Is it just, I just grab it up, shove it down my gullet, and then wait for the next portion to come the next day? Or do I get the picture or the message, oh, this is the one who took me out of the house of bondage. This is the one who's giving me the daily bread each day. This is the one who's leading me to the mountain this is the one who's leading me to the land, who's leading me to water, water out of the rock. That is a message of the bread. Because Yeshua is saying, they ate the manna in the desert and they died. Especially those ones that sided with the ten spies instead of the two who scouted out the land.
1: Why do they eat the daily bread and they die? What is revealed in the word about that?
0: Because they did not combine it with what? Faith. Trust. They did not trust the one who took them out. The one who took them out of the house of bondage was the one that would take them into the land of rest. So thus when you see this situation, and you see it in John chapter 7, as it goes into John chapter 8 and continues on, what you see is a situation that's very similar to what you see in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Very, very similar. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, everything is meaningless. It's just, eh, day in, day out, you do whatever you can, you learn all you can, you learn, 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 and in the end, you die and you take it with you to the grave. Unless What? You learn something that's, what, worth passing on. Then a next generation will take that learning and do something with it, if the learning is actually profitable, and if it's something that actually causes growth. But one of the things that happens with cycles, day in, day out, we've seen that phrase, that idiom in life, day in, day out, day in, day out the daily grind, you know what happens with that? There's a very weird sort of condition that, that shows up. It's called normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is a deadly situation if there's any sort of crisis. Normalcy bias is, is, is as happened before, will happen again. It will just keep going on. If you live in peace, it will always be living in peace. You have nothing to worry about. So then a crisis shows up. You hesitate. You don't respond. Why? Because you just expect peace, peace, peace. It will just can keep going on with peace, peace, peace. So you don't respond to say, look, hey, the situation has changed. And Yeshua is responding to those around him, and saying, hey, look, how are you paying attention to the situation? Because you could see when the Messiah is here speaking the message through the Gospels, this is, you could say, the reverberation of a major anomaly in, in Israel's history. This is still, you could say, the <laughs> the after effects, the aftershocks of the major earthquake that happened to Israel, the destructions of the temples. First temple built, destroyed, and exile. A remnant returns. They rebuild it. Some return. Then you could see back and forth, pull and tug. Maccabean crisis or you have some other overlords come in. They throw the temple out of action again. It gets rededicated, put back into action. How long did that last? It went downhill very quickly after that. And it wasn't within, what, about 100 years or so before they were bringing in Julius Caesar to solve the, solve the issue, solve their squabbles and internal dissent in it. So in a sense they're still kind of reverberating, almost in a sense of still in exile. Have they, kind of like with the generation that came out of Egypt, are they still kind of longing to go back? Longing to go back into exile. So, here in the first century, they were looking at this situation with Rome. They'd gotten comfortable with Rome. The, they had an understanding with Rome, especially some of the leadership of the temple at the time. And you see that reflected in the Gospels. You see that reflected in the Gospels, where they're like, weighing what to do with Yeshua? Because if we let this guy go on, what's going to happen? They're going to take away our temple and our place. So, Normalcy bias again. They don't realize that they're in a crisis and that the Messiah has come in. They don't even recognize the Messiah has come in. And they don't recognize what it is the heavens trying to do. So, what happens when the Messiah comes in to shake things up, to hit the reset button on Israel? They revolt. Against the one who's trying to shake up what they had become accustomed to. Yes, uh, Alex
2: um, Eisenman, who I have read quite a bit, uh, is and he's and he's no Christian necessarily. I don't think he's, he's actually a uh, uh, expert moron teaches uh, Islam, but he's he's well versed. Uh, he believes it was because of the messianics that it finally went down because uh, the zealots with. Uh, um, Essenes and whatnot were were beaten on the whole thing forever, but um, once the messianic movement started developing, uh, that's when Rome finally moved in on it. So uh, it wasn't necessarily Jesus immediately; it was many years later. But the messianic movement, uh, he thinks, was uh, instrumental in the temple coming down.
0: Mm. Yeah, very interesting. It, you know, you could actually argue as you move forward that uh, it. And as you go on and you see the book of Acts, and then you see the uh, writings of Paul, et cetera, that, that did, in a sense, create an existential crisis. And <laughs> to the point of where you know, we have quotations from the Shemoni Esrae, that's 18 blessings. Well, why is it now 20? Well, they had to throw in one of them, which is a declaration against the Minim or the heretics, Because it created an existential crisis. Because you had not only just the followers of Yeshua, but others that were asking questions that were quite difficult. So, yes, you create, you shake up what people had become used to. But that's one of the issues with the normalcy bias, is just like in a physical emergency that you're in, you must respond right now, You must respond or you will die and other people will die. You must respond now. Take action. But you must also see that there is an emergency. If you're stuck with the way that things have been going, not even realize that, hey, things have gone off the rails, then what will you do? As Yeshua put it with the parables of the wineskins. You know, we don't want the new because the old is better. It's often interpreted, you'll see a lot of commentaries will say, well, the old is better, they're talking about the Torah. That's what they think, the old is better. No. The old is that mentality of, um, we don't want someone to come in and shake up our position. We've got an idea of who the Messiah is going to be, so we don't want anyone come in and shake that up. That's what you see the full context of the Gospels in. Because when you see it, like especially the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through you'll see that is what is referred to back in Deuteronomy when Moshe is saying, there will be a prophet like me who will come after. And the words he speaks, hey, listen to him, in fact. What do you see recorded in the Gospels? There was a voice that came down that says, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Yes, uh, Rose.
1: This reminds me of that saying that uh, a man convinced against his will <laughs> is of the same opinion yes. still. No matter what Christ said to them, they were not going to change what they already had established. Yeah. And, so, and, so uh, that- and he warned he warned them uh, teaching uh, about the commandments of men so uh, they didn't like all they didn't like everything he had to say because they had a neat little setup going on there
0: yeah and, and that was, is uh, one and of they the they were in
1: their comfort zone and and if you look at us even today we get in our comfort zone we don't we don't like it when you know you know I mean you ever hear a sermon in church and it, it, it like Get you right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very uncomfortable. Yes. You know, uh, we get comfortable and we, d- we don't like that. that we got to change routine.
0: Yes, that, that we have to change. So thus, like one of, the, one of the things that you'll see both in this pamphlet and things that we've talked about before and links to previous studies that we've done on it. Um, about the different types of species that you find in the sukkah. You know, we have the, our lulavs here, which have you know, four of them. And then you see later on down in, in the time of Nehemiah with the restoration uh, that they added the other one about the olives in there. And you see that that these you know, have been, you could see throughout the Bible, examples of the... Types of symbols that these refer to about the palms. The palm that you could see is uh, talking about someone who is righteous and righteous people bend under adversity. You know, we've seen in recently about hurricanes and you, you watch the footage of the hurricanes, whether they're in Hawaii or Florida or wherever they show up. What do you often see? You see the trees, it's thrashing around, thrashing around in the wind. So, that is a symbol of the palm, the palm that you take severe adversity, but you don't break in the process. And so, what great picture is there for the time of Sukkot? the time of the dwelling place of the king coming to be with us. Because one of the things you see in the day of the Lord, you see it exemplified in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with the seven congregations that are mentioned there. You see this continual theme, the one who will stand until the end, the one who will stand. (laughs) Or maybe you could put it left standing at the end. And because you see that even the prophets talk about who can stand the day of the lord and the picture of the righteous the ones that have their roots into something solid but they themselves can bend with whatever comes against them so that is a a great picture of what the people of god really need to develop in our lives the ability for resilience They mentioned here about the willow, symbolizing the heart. And willows, another picture of the willow, is something that's planted next to streams that sucks up just a tremendous amount of water. So where do you have your roots planted? Yeah, people have noted in previous years that willows, if you have a septic system, also find find their way into your septic system as well. Rip your Rip your pipes apart and all kinds of stuff. They're what? In search of water. Well, I guess maybe that's an extended metaphor of well, be careful of what your roots are searching for, whether, you know, your roots are searching for true water and you end up in a septic system, or if you actually are getting living water. So <laughs> it's a very interesting. Diff- I hate to take that illustration any further than that. But, again, like Myrtle, that is connected with the uh, Hebrew name for Hadassah, or otherwise known as Esther. That picture of the hidden one, the one who is behind the scenes, fasting in prayer. And the fruit trees, which has come down traditionally as citrus, and then from citrus down to etrog, but really it just talks about, as we see there, the beautiful trees, and the things that produce fruit. And that is indeed one of the things that you see, the teachings of the Master, is that what do you produce when you are planted? Are you just something that produces thorns? Or are you something that produces something useful? And then, down the time of Nehemiah chapter 8, you see that the Sukkah had been expanded. And there, you add in olives as well. And the picture of bringing in light for olive oil, then light for the menorah. You are people who are bringing light into the darkness. So, as we see the symbols not only of Sukkot, but also what is taught about the setting of Sukkot, that this is a time that the kingdom of heaven is going to break into reality. Break into reality. You see in Revelation that when these things come upon the world, what are people going to do? Yes, like you see in Zechariah chapter 8, Again, are they going to see things unraveling, and then grab on to tote grab on to those that they know or are connected to God, and say, "Hey, we've heard that God's with you. You know, show us the Father." So there are those that are going to say, "Hey, we need help. We don't know what's going on. You seem to know what's going on. You seem to know the hour." show us but then you've got the others which is the normalcy bias you just say oh we've lived like this for so long um we'll just keep clinging on to this old way of life as it goes down so as we think forward in the time of the lord in the time of the day of the lord and also in the days that we're in right now and what we're celebrating we see that yes like in Ecclesiastes, and as that book goes on, that you see that the things that we, we put a lot, of, a lot of attention upon can be useful if they are fruitful. But if they're just something in for yourself, they die with you. You can puff yourself up all you want. But if it's not something that is fruitful for the world and the next generation to pass that on, it's meaningless. It's a wind. It'll blow in and then blow out and be done. But we, who are a part of something that the creator of heaven and earth started, the beginning, restoring through Avraham and bringing it through Moshe, to a people, to a land, kind of a nexus, a center for the earth, the word going out into all the world. So we're a part of something big, huge thing, a family of God, the people and the body of the Messiah. So as we go through these days of Sukkot here, and we think about, yes, we're in a temporary dwelling like the Sukkah. Looks very vulnerable to the elements, vulnerable to things that are coming. I mean, see the out there, it's, um, yeah, a major windstorm, a major rainstorm. Yeah, it's not going to provide much protection out there. Just like in life, you know, ourselves, we are very vulnerable. But like Messiah said, don't fear the one who can harm the body, but fear the one who can do something, who can destroy body and your soul, your spirit in Gehenna. Wipe both of them out. That's what really matters in life. So are there any last uh, thoughts here as we close things out here today? Just, it's a, time, it's a time of rejoicing, because as we've seen as we go through Yom Teruah, the call to action, Hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Yom Kippur, your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities, they are covered over, removed, and the Lord remembers those things against us no more. Because, hallelujah! Because the trust that we have in our high priest, our great high priest, And now we move on to Sukkot. So after you have the sins, transgressions, iniquities removed, and heaven remembers those no more about us, then what is one of the things, especially when you go back to the Torah, when it talks about that the Lord wants to build the tabernacle in the midst of the people. But there's a problem with building the tabernacle in the midst of the people. And what does he say? especially after the golden calf like how can I dwell in the midst of the people like this so thus you see the picture of Yom Kippur it's like you humble yourself you basically scale yourself back with the things that you think you must have to survive and then you trust that the high priest of heaven is going to take care of the sins, the transgressions, and iniquities. You want to get rid of those things. You want those things to be gone. You don't want them to be looping around again, you know, not coming back around again, same as it ever was, but you want those things to be gone. But this is just not something, and as we went through the discussion there in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 9 and 10, this is not just something that you get yourself stamped every year. Okay, check it off the list. Check it off the list. Okay, great. Removed, forgotten. Like, no, if you're just going to do that on the outside, it's just going to come back. These things will just be around and around and around and around again. So this is something that needs to have a change on the inside. Your inside, what you really want to do, who you really are on the inside, that's got to be different. That's got to be different. So thus, that's when you then are looking at the, when it goes down there into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 27, 28, continuing on, about, you know, if you have a sacrifice for sin, great. But if you don't want the sacrifice for sin from heaven, there's no plan B. There is, there is no plan B. Heaven has said, this is how it's dealt with. It's not, it's not just because of a ceremony. The ceremony is a reflection upon what heaven is doing. This is a part you trust in about what heaven is doing and what heaven wants to do in you and then through you into your family, into all the earth. So that's one of the the great messages that we have. So then as we then see the picture of Yom Kippur is that, well, then you have the sins, transgressions, and iniquities removed from the people. So then what? The dwelling place of God can be in the midst of the people. Because heaven does not want this muck and mire to just continue on and on and on and on and on. Just creating misery and mayhem for age upon age upon age. Now this mess that we are in in this world that is the anomaly. Anomaly. That is the anomaly in the world. It's not normal. It's aberrant in the way the creator of heaven and earth set things up. So we shouldn't be just stuck in normalcy bias and go, well, hey, this murder, mayhem, and everything, that's the way it is. That's normal. No, this is abnormal. So thus, you see the people of God, when in the midst of these things, They're the ones that cry out. This, something's wrong here. This is not the way that you created things. Please, you know, Oshana, save us. Save us. Please, save us. Things have gone wrong. Save us. We don't want this to continue on anymore. So then we see the great picture of the dwelling place of God amongst mankind, to finally deal with this. And then, as you see back in the garden, thus at the end of Revelation, and as you see in the prophets, truly, then you have the dwelling place of God with mankind. And, as we were seeing in Zechariah 14, the, <laughs> the picture of wanting to go up to the Festival of Tabernacles, is something that you want to do. And the the prophetic picture there of, that is where the rain is. That's where the water that actually nourishes you. That's where it is. It's the dwelling place of God. Because away from the dwelling place of God is no water. There's life. There's death. This death is an aberration aberration
1: in time. It's unusual. We've gotten used to it because we live in the midst
0: of it. It's not normal. So thus, one of our heart's cries should be, Oceana. please save us from this. Come deliver yeah, Yes, save us from ourselves. Yes, I mean to that. So, any thoughts as we close out? Observations, reflections? Anything out there in Wyoming land?
1: All right. I have a question. Yes, go ahead, question? Pat why do we keep electing the same type of officials and keep
2: doing the same thing over and over and over and then complain about it all the time?
0: Yes, it's kind of, somebody say here, uh, normalcy bias. The, the thing of uh, you are used to a certain thing. Do you know any better? One of the, the great mysteries that comes out is Why do people stay in an abusive relationship? There's all kinds of things you tell, like there's Stockholm syndrome, where, where people who are captive can some then become identified and enamored with their captors. It's a very strange condition where you can become used to and even like something that is extremely harmful to you. And, you know, there's also that. Then there's also effort. It takes effort to think of something and go to something different. It takes effort to see something else and to find out what else is true. I mean, when we just think of something, something small yet very significant, of like elections. How many of us go into and look at our ballot in the voting booth? All the judges are on there. Yes. Now, what, what, what do you actually have to do to make an informed choice? You have to look up their decisions to see what their decisions are. How do they judge? What have they done? What is you know, their conviction rates? What, what do they yeah research and that sort of thing? But that is, I could say, it takes effort. And that's, when you say that's a, that's a small thing, well, then how much more are things related to leaders? How much more are things related to the kingdom of God? It takes effort to move up out of where you're at, the the things you become comfortable with. So, um, sadly, Pat, that's one of the the challenges that we have about continuing to um, elect people, to choose things, to continue on with things the way they are, is because... To do something different requires us to move out of our call it the comfort zone, but to actually put out the effort to see if something else is different. To in in a sense, you know, you can see a small example of that, or small but turned into a great um, a great movement of that is in the Gospels, where you see when. Yeshua is saying to each of what became the 12 saying, well, where are you staying? Which is another proverbial way to say he's like, you know, what are you about? And he's like, come and see. Are you going to get out of your comfort zone and go see what it's like? May take effort. May take going a different route when everybody else is going the same route. But when you see the alternative, it's like the things that we focus on in life. Those things are Havel, a wind blowing in, blowing out. Like someone was observing that there is this move among, uh, workers in the, just in the past couple of years to go and, uh, have They want to have more, more time, so they push maybe for remote work or hybrid work. They want to have more time away from the office. But the question comes up, well, what are you doing with all that time? Do you now have more time to stream content, to do this or to do that? Things that are Havel, that just blow in, blow out. You obsess over something right now, and in this grand scheme of things, it doesn't make any difference one way or the other or for the things that really matter like your family you spend time you're building the relationships with family with friends with your neighbors etc the things that that truly matter in life those things take time so yes it even going for the leaders you there's been the movement now to (laughs) parents have suddenly noticed after they be, what's happening in schools got broadcast into their homes via remote learning or remote dislearning or remote not learning. But that was broadcast in what was happening in the schools. And some teachers or some uh, parents woke up and said, well, I don't, I don't believe any of that. But it had just been happening. You send your kids off and they come home. You send your kids off and then they come home. But then to realize, oh my goodness, look at what's going on with my children. They've got my children for a whole lot longer of the day than I do. And it's happening there. So then parents start showing up to have something to say about the leaders of those schools and are making substantial changes. But it took parents to just say, hey, look, I don't care what else was going on at the time when that school board meeting is meeting, that's where I need to be to figure out what is going on there because they've got my kids for so much more of the day than I do. That's one example of it. But again, you know, it's on various layers of your own life and society and the things the uh, the words of God because you know, if you're just taking the time as as we do each week with the Torah cycle and passages related to the Torah cycle so that When things come along and people say things about the Word, you can go, no, that's not right because I read that. And the Spirit of God directs you, gives you that discernment. Pray for the discernment to be able to take the words that are implanted in and then to put those into use to see, hey, is that really so or not? So, Pat, I hope that answers your question. It's uh, sadly one of those things that um, is going to take a heart change within society to realize what, what goes wrong. And, and a lot of it has to do with us.
1: It all has to do with us. Yes. As a society.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Sorry. Oh, no, no problem at all. All right, well, if there are no other thoughts or oh, Alex, uh, yes, I just got to throw a question over there.
2: I, I listened to a guy named Jason Whitlock come on now and then, mm-hmm. and um, he's, he's articulate and can think these things out more efficiently than me. He sums it up. It's a death cult, what we see: the abortion, the destruction, the different things. There's a death cult going on. It's big, and there's lots of people, lots of members. Yeah.
0: And it's not new. I mean, if you you see the the various things and the descriptions of... uh, It talks about the Baals. It's been happening long, long, long time. goes back to the Bible times and way back to the very beginning. You see some of the the first children after the fall. Some of them are some pretty bad dudes. So it's been happening all the way from the beginning. Uh,
2: Yes, Larry? one of the things i think is wrong is we keep expecting that humans are going to be able to solve these problems the scripture says it is not within man that walks the guided steps we don't have god in it it ain't gonna work
0: that's right again that has to have a change from within you know because one of the the great lessons of yom kippur and as you pair it with some of the prophets that talk about you know, our filthiness, being like um, filthy rags, to put it kindly. Yes, our holiness, our righteousness like filthy rags, that our things in and of themselves were not so great and wonderful. But when we get the reset from heaven, that's what makes it wonderful. That's what makes it joyous and beautiful. So when we look at the wonderful things that God has made, with the flowers and plants, etc., and with things we decorate our sukkahs with, that's about what the Lord wants to do with us—to beautify us, to make us bear fruit. But what do we bear fruit of? Or bear fruit? Not at all.